Chapters seven and eight of Sheriff Larrabee's a Prisoner by Martin Dexter, pseudonym for Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seven Public Opinion Boontown, the county seat, was so small that the uninitiated were apt to call it a village, but it was not too small to be without that mysterious and uncontrollable voice usually called public opinion public opinion on this occasion was wakening from a long long sleep for some years public opinion had expressed itself only at elections and similar unimportant and formal functions but when the news arrived that the murderer of old benton was in town and in jail the man whom the district attorney had arraigned beforehand with terrible eloquence in the little boontown newspaper public opinion wakened with a start yawned forth a growl from some four hundred throats and stretched its thousand arms to find something on which to vent its rage for public opinion is a blind beast even when it wakens the maladministration of officials the legal cruelties of business oppression and business betrayals are very apt never to reach the sleepy ear of the creature but it may suddenly start up to yell itself hoarse with applause because a politician gives birth to a neat phrase then it falls asleep with a grunt and a smile when the lucky fellow bows his thanks and dips his finger in the public purse this great stupid beast public opinion having long slumbered in boontown now roused itself with a roar and called for a victim and on this occasion there was some justification for noise the district attorney had called attention to the brutality of the crime to the youth of the murderer to the white-haired feebleness of the murdered man finally the district attorney had declared his intention of suppressing such crimes of ending the reign of violence in that violent county of bringing in a golden age of peace by hanging this red-handed devil called jack from the highest gallows a good beginning he pointed out was nine-tenths of a good ending and a good example was the better part of a good beginning the broken neck of jack was to furnish the good example that would thereafter make crime hang its head and slink away from the precincts favored by the presence of the district attorney it may be gathered that he was a very young man to hold such a very old office fitzpatrick levine was one of those who loved the practice of criminal law and he loved the prosecuting end of it because he said that end was morally cleaner in reality his love for the attorney's office was like the love of the barbarian for the sword fitzpatrick levine liked to kill his summing up to a jury was delivered with both violence and relish he expanded his naturally meagre inches he became huge and dominated a courtroom while he was whipping a victim toward death he never recommended mercy to a judge on any occasion in appearance he was small rather plump with clear red cheeks a childishly smooth brow and eyes of sparkling brightness he was a favorite among ladies young and old among men he was highly prized for his contagious good cheer and his thrilling anecdotes generally about his own experiences because as he was fond of saying a man generally talks best about himself he was about twenty-seven years old but he seemed five full years short of that age and his youthful appearance was a tremendous advantage to him 
when with fiery indignation he assailed a criminal in the court the jury felt that so young a man with so smooth a brow must be filled with legal inspiration to use such violent words he spoke with a sort of indignant virtue that was wholly convincing he could make twelve honest men sway and stiffen with him and when he turned and shook his extended forefinger at the accused twelve pairs of eyes would generally turn and glare in the same direction no one would understand no one could be expected to understand that this apollo-faced man was consumed with a fanatical zeal to sacrifice a fellow-creature on the altar of justice fitzpatrick levine knelt at only one shrine this was his percentage of convictions he worshipped that god and he prayed to it he dreamed of a time when his picture would appear in some metropolitan newspaper setting forth the record of that brilliant young lawyer fitzpatrick levine but boontown did not act as levine's legal experience in other parts of the country had led him to suppose it would act no it rose up and seized guns and rushed to the jail and demanded that the murderer of old men should straightway be handed over to it to be torn limb from limb from a window of the hotel the young district attorney stared thoughtfully down upon this troubled sea before the jail what oil could he throw upon the waters not that he cared for the life of jack montaigne but jack represented a sure conviction if the mob rent him from limb to limb a scalp that should hang at fitzpatrick's belt would be gone he went down and waded through the mob to the jail cries accompanied him give the skunk to us fitz we'll teach him manners feed him out the window to us fitz we'll teach him fitzpatrick levine reached the door of the jail two pale-faced men with double-barreled shotguns guarded the prison but they were not the force which held the mob at bay that force the district attorney found in the office a large quid of tobacco bulging his cheek his heels cocked up on the desk the sheriff rolled dull contented eyes toward his visitors hello levine he said kind of noisy ain't they levine despised the sheriff and the sheriff knew it the sheriff despised levine and levine knew it consequently they were extremely amiable on all occasions but said levine consternation in his face aren't you going to do anything about what fitzpatrick saw visions of the murderer torn from the jail a conviction hopelessly lost it was like a conspiracy and the sheriff would not raise a hand about the mob declared fitzpatrick are you going to let him take him take nothing replied the sheriff they know me son if you don't like the noise go out and quiet them you started all this with your talk in the paper about white-haired innocence and youthful brutality well said levine i only told the truth did you ever know benton not exactly well sir he was exactly a devil he didn't have one corner of a good deed tucked away in his make-up you can lay to that but there's your mob levine what are you going to do with it you're not afraid they'll get him then asked levine immensely relieved the sheriff laughed softly sooner than see them get him i'll arm the prisoner son but what could you two wait till you see him levine he's a man with him at my back well there ain't any use talking about it because the crowd ain't going to bust any doors down they'll just holler out there and have a good time 
If I get an earache, I'll just go out and clear the street. Otherwise, it don't amount to nothing. Levine walked to one side, pondering. As the sheriff had said, he had raised the crowd. What should he now do with it? An idea leaped into that young and surprisingly fertile brain. First, he seized two officers of the law, such as he usually liked to have with him on similar occasions. They were both broad and correspondingly small of forehead and brain. With them he went to the cell of the prisoner. He waited outside until his two worthies had secured the arms of the prisoner with handcuffs. Then the district attorney led the way to a back room of the jail, a small room fenced in with almost soundproof walls. Here Jack Montaigne was seated near the wall, with an officer on either side. "'You heard that racket outside?' asked the district attorney, taking his stand with spread feet before the prisoner. "'And you know what it means?' "'They want me?' asked the prisoner, and yawned. The yawn startled Levine. "'And,' he said ferociously, "'they'll probably get you, and you know what that means. Mm, "'Tolerable well.' "'There's no use in talking,' said Levine. "'We can't afford to have the jail attacked "'and risk the lives of law-abiding citizens "'to protect a worthless dog like you. "'There's only one thing that'll quiet that mob, "'and that's to know that the law is going to finish you up "'in its own way and its own time. "'There's only one way that the law can be absolutely sure of you, "'and that's through a confession. You understand?' Montaigne nodded. Now, said Levine, I don't mind telling you that you haven't a chance, and you're going to hang. Everything is against you. I could hang ten men on what I have against you. It's only a matter of time and legal formalities which have to be gone through. So the best thing for you all around is to let me have a full confession. I can make things pretty miserable for you, my friend, if you hold out. But if you talk out and tell the whole story, I'll see that you live on the fat of the land up to the last day." He smiled generously on his prisoner and went on. Besides, there's no sense in this fool silence of yours. You won't tell your name except to call yourself Jack. You won't give the name of the town you come from. And all this is really evidence against you. A man who is afraid to have the law know his past is a man the law handles without gloves. Will you talk, Jack? I'll talk, said Jack Montaigne. The district attorney sighed with relief. In another minute he had spread out a pad on his knee, for shorthand was included in his accomplishments. "'Start in,' he said, "'where your story begins to be different from what Slim and the Zellers have sworn to.' On a previous occasion he had listed all the sworn facts to Jack in a vain effort to elicit a confession. CHAPTER Eight: LEVINE LEARNS A LESSON well, said Jack Montaigne, that makes me begin at the beginning, or pretty close to that. Mind you, I don't expect you to believe me, but I'm going to talk so's you'll stop bothering me. Start with when I got to the Zeller house, and make it brief. It runs like this. I didn't have a cent, I had to get a place to sleep, and I wanted Chuck, and I wanted it bad. Besides, I hated skunks that would have turned a gent out into a storm like that. So I made the Zellers give me Chuck. While I was eaten, the old man came in and called me a crook, or words to that effect, and right after that young Zeller took me up and showed me into a room. I was so sleepy I didn't take off my clothes. I hit that bed and was off in a flash. A scream woke me up. I jumped out of my room and found a light shining under the door of Benton's room. 
I smashed that door when I found it was locked, because inside that room I heard a scampering of feet. When I ran in, there was nobody there, but old Benton was lying dead. The chest was open, and the papers were ruffled a good deal. I went downstairs and called Mrs. Zeller and her kid. They came up and looked. Then, while I was talking to the kid, Mrs. Zeller sneaked out. I went after her in a minute, and I heard her telephoning the sheriff. So I knew her plan was to send Larrabee after me. I was alone. I knew that both the woman and Gus would swear their lives away to stick me for the murder, because that was their only way of taking suspicion off their own shoulders, where it belongs. What was my word against both of theirs? I didn't wait. I grabbed my hoss and started. The sheriff followed. You know the rest. As he concluded, Fitzpatrick Levine smashed the pad to the floor. That's your confession, is it? Yes. By heaven, I've a mind to let that mob in. Listen to em. Outside, the crowd set up a fresh clamor, surging toward the jail. For half an hour, the good men of Boontown had been shouting to keep their anger alive, shouting to find a leader. I hear em, said the prisoner, and I'd a pile rather face them than face you and your crowd in the courtroom. The lip of the district attorney curled. He cast one glance at his henchmen, and they rose instantly to the occasion. "'You skunk!' said the red-headed man at Jack's right. "'Take this to teach you manners!' And he smashed his fist into Montaigne's face. The impact toppled man and chair. He was jerked to his feet, and the district attorney, first making sure that the prisoner was securely pinioned on both sides, stepped close and shook his fist under the nose of Montaigne. "'There's more of the same stuff coming for you,' he said, "'unless you stop lying and tell the truth. Are you ready to talk?' It was only the beginning of the third degree. It was only the beginning of that process which Fitzpatrick Levine loved above all else. In the meantime, he watched, fascinated, the progress of a crimson stain rolling down from the mouth of Jack Montaigne. The stain was doubly red, because Montaigne had suddenly become deathly white. At sight of that badge of fear, the heart of the district attorney leaped with pleasure. "'I've told you the truth,' he said, "'and I ain't going to lie even to give you the pleasure of hanging me. But don't have one of these gents hit me again.' In reply, Fitzpatrick Levine smiled slowly, as a connoisseur smiles when he inhales the bouquet of a favorite vintage. He raised one finger, and this time the black-haired man at Montaigne's left acted. His burly fist drove home with a sickening impact. Jack went down, his head striking the wall. He rolled forward on the floor and lay quiet. "'Pick him up,' said Fitzpatrick Levine. I'll teach the dog to threaten me. You heard him threaten me, Dick?" Dick grinned, and, reaching down, jerked Montaigne up with one exertion of his burly arms. But it was like lifting a wildcat. Montaigne came to his feet, the handcuffs dangling from one wrist. The sheriff very foolishly had neglected to warn his assistants about the great flexibility of those slender hands of Jack, and now his hands were free. He swung the manacles into the face of Dick, and the black-haired man dropped without a cry. Then Jack spun on his heel and smashed his right hand into the face of the redhead, and sent that worthy crashing back against the wall. 
the district attorney leaped for the door but between glancing over his shoulder in terror to see how long it might be before the danger assailed him from the rear and the shaking of his hand he could not lift the key into the lock of the door the redhead was battling with noble vigor and calling wildly on dick to come to his aid but his voice was choked and stifled in a rain of blows he got to his revolver only to have it kicked out of his hand it exploded as it fell on the far side of the room and the explosion drew a fresh shriek of amazing power from the district attorney at the same instant the red-headed fellow was back to the wall and the whipping fists of jack montaigne driven with uncanny speed and terrible power smashed his face until he cringed down moaning for quarter then jack montaigne turned on the district attorney the latter with one last despairing effort strove to get the key from the lock the key merely stuttered against the door and fitzpatrick levine fled to a corner here he crouched shielding his face with both arms no no he exclaimed don't i'll, I'll see you go free i'll get you out you you, you uh, don't come near me at that moment a hand turned the knob of the door from without and the prisoner worked his free hand deftly into the manacle the palm doubling to half its ordinary compass the sheriff opened the door to find jack montaigne leaning carelessly against the wall on the far side of the room his hands in irons dick lay with his face down unstirring and the red-headed man was just beginning to straighten up while the district attorney peered in terror between his arms as if through the bars of a cage kill him kill the devil fitzpatrick levine yelled he's tried to murder me he tried to murder us he's cut those handcuffs off and what demanded the sheriff sternly have you been doing with him in here what my office compels me to do trying to get a confession out of him and the devil how said the sheriff did he get his lip cut he attacked us began levine he attacked the three of you two of you with guns and him with none he started this game did he the sneer of the sheriff suddenly made it impossible for the glib tongue of the district attorney to wind itself around a plausible lie he could only moan i'll make him suffer for this i'll make him sorry for the day he was born look here said the sheriff staring mildly at the district attorney i guess i didn't see you kneeling over there in the corner and begging jack not to hit you i guess i didn't see nothing like that if i did i'd try to forget it but listen to me mr hang'em quick levine if you lay a hand on him again i'll have to do a pile of remembering what's more i'll have you and your two thugs laughed out of town for yaller-livered skunks which you are district attorney bah you ain't worthy of lickin' the boots of jack maybe he's done a killin here and there but he's been a man according to my lights that's more in you and the two of them there can say now get out and don't come sneakin back to raise trouble here i'm runnin this jail and i'll keep on runnin it the two slipped without a word through the door dick was jerked to his feet kicked into semi-consciousness and pushed after them then the sheriff turning his back on the terrible man-killer asked him to follow and jack did follow very meekly back to a cell where the manacles were gravely unlocked and removed there the sheriff spoke to him for the first time i'm sorry he said that you got your lip all cut up 
he proceeded to the front door of the jail took from one of the white-faced guards a double-barreled shotgun and with this terrible weapon under his arm stepped out in full view of the milling crowd he waited until the hoarse roar subsided in that roar they were demanding jack the murderer of old men gents said the sheriff i'm plumb tired out today and i'm trying to get a nap you folks bother me a lot matter of fact i gotta have sleep and you're disturbing the peace so get off this street pronto up went the shotgun and the sheriff looked about him it seemed to every man in the mob that larrabee's keen eyes were glaring at him as at a ringleader and then the gaping mouth of the gun pointed down at him the crowd wavered split in the center rolled away on both sides and vanished the sheriff spat upon the steps and re-entered the jail. End of chapter 8